Hello from Ellensburg, Washington, USA. This is the Nick Zentner Geology Podcast, Episode 21, The Farallon Plate. Thanks for listening. Well, it's razzle-dazzle time. It's time to get fancy. We already know about plate tectonics. Continental drift, change it to plate tectonics. That's our current view of how the globe is working. And we know that tectonic plates, whether it's the North American plate or the South American plate or the African plate or the Pacific plate, we know that those blocks of lithosphere are moving in different directions. They're moving independent of each other. And we've already covered that. And if you're really on top of your game, you've got a good map in your mind or maybe a map that you can pull up on Google of the tectonic plates of the world. And you can see all those big blocks of tectonic material moving in different directions. There's a name, there's an arrow, there's big boundaries, big lines separating the plates, and it all makes perfect sense. But the first major point today is you can look and look and look on that tectonic map that you pull up on your computer, and you're not going to find the word Farallon. You're not going to find the tectonic plate called the Farallon plate, and yet that is the topic today. So what gives? <laughs> uh, the Farallon plate doesn't exist anymore. But during its reign, it was king. And it had major implications and continues to have major implications for the geology of Western North America, where I happen to live and where I've done much of my teaching. And long ago, 30 years ago, when I started teaching, I found this diagram that talks about the demise of the Farallon Plate. It's a very simple diagram, and it's really the focal point of this entire episode. One diagram. I'm actually paging uh, through my course pack right now to find it. Right there it is. Okay, good. And uh, I locked onto that diagram <coughs> long ago. I'm embarrassed to say I don't even know who the author of it is. Probably a guy named uh, Bill Dickinson, but there might be others that were involved in this. But I took that diagram and loved it and embraced it and put it into uh, all of my courses. And um, oftentimes I see former students and they invariably come up with the word Farallon plate. They, they remember that because I hit it so hard. I just, I just emphasized the role of the Farallon plate so much. And in the remaining podcast episodes that we have devoted to this Geology 101 class, I, I, I don't know if you're uh, aware, maybe I've mentioned it briefly once, that these first 30 or so episodes uh, of this series uh, is essentially uh, Geology 101 lectures that I've been given, that I have given students for 30 years. And I don't know what's coming next. I, I assume I'll continue with the podcast. And I don't know. Uh, haven't even thought about that. But as we continue through this course and these lectures that I have given for years and years and years, um, the remaining Geology 101, quote unquote, uh, episodes are going to be uh, referring back to this episode quite often, the Farallon plate. So uh, it's morning. I just had my Campus U totem breakfast sandwich, and uh, 
the challenge for me this morning is to verbally describe one diagram. I don't have the luxury of drawing it for you or drawing it with you or just giving it to you. So we'll see how this goes. But um, I'm hoping to motivate you to learn about the Farallon Plate because we will eventually realize that the Sierra Nevada Mountains, the Rocky Mountains, uh, the Cascades in Washington, all of these things called exotic terrains, it all ties to this Farallon Plate. It's a big, big deal. Even though the plate doesn't exist anymore, um, if you know the geology of the American West, you know about the Farallon Plate and its role. All right, so that's our goal today. Why should we care about the Farallon Plate? Well, um, I think what I'll try to do is just jump right in here. I'm looking at this diagram, my tried and true diagram. And let me just start describing it. Uh, the title of the diagram, in my words, Changing Tectonics of North America's West Coast. Changing Tectonics of North America's West Coast. Or sometimes I have my students say, hey, I mean, that's a title that I, I put together 30 years ago. Let's, let's add, let's put another title on this diagram. And the title is North America Crosses the East Pacific Rise. Okay, so how are we going to do this? Well, let's. Uh, th uh, this 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 page has three panels on it, and the panel on the right is a tectonic map of the entire American West, going from Alaska down to Mexico, zero million years ago. In other words, today, and I'll briefly describe that. And then there's a middle panel on this page. Same idea. It's a big map of Western North America from Alaska down to Mexico, but it's a map for the tectonics 20 million years ago. And then there's a third panel on this page, a third and final panel on the left, and it's for 40 million years ago. So you can see why the title of the page is Changing Tectonics of North America's West Coast. The idea is over the last 40 million years, F, uh, that's that's. 40. Over the last 40 million years, there has been a tremendous amount of change with our tectonic plates and therefore our tectonic plate boundaries and therefore our earthquakes and our volcanoes. Again, the challenge is describing this to you verbally. You've already heard that a couple times, so let's actually do it. No more beating around the bush. So on the right panel, that's the zero million year diagram, right? Uh, we can go pretty quickly because we already have learned most of that material. Uh, what am I looking at? Well, I'm looking at um, the North American plate moving west. And on the left side of the diagram, I'm looking at the Pacific plate moving northwest. Okay? And there's a big boundary between those two plates. And most famously, that boundary between the North American plate on the east and the Pacific, well, I should say that differently, the big boundary between the North American plate and the Pacific plate is the San Andreas Fault. We had a whole podcast episode devoted to the San Andreas. And the San Andreas is a nice clean line running down through the middle of California. And we know that that's a transform plate boundary, where the North American plate is in disagreement with the Pacific plate. Actually, technically, we did learn, didn't we, that the North American plate move southwest over the stationary Yellowstone hotspot. So North American plate going southwest, Pacific plate going northwest, 
and there is transform sliding, making earthquakes along the San Andreas Fault. Okay, new information on this diagram for today. If you go into British Columbia, northern British Columbia and southeast Alaska, there is another transform plate boundary. In other words, it's, a, it's another, uh, it's a nor northern version of the San Andreas Fault. It's called the Denali Fault. Have you heard of it? You've heard of Denali National Park. Uh, Denali Fault in Alaska and northern British Columbia is an identical structure to the San Andreas Fault, meaning it's North American plate on one side, Pacific plate on the other, making big earthquakes. There was a big old earthquake 20 years ago on the Denali, and there will be more in the future. Okay. Now, we know that in the Pacific Northwest, where Ellensburg, Washington is located, we do not have a transform plate boundary. What type of plate boundary do we have at the coast of Washington and Oregon? What's that? That's right. It's a convergent oceanic versus continental plate boundary, right? With a trench and a downgoing oceanic plate. I'm looking at this diagram, and I see that it's the Juan de Fuca plate, the oceanic Juan de Fuca plate that's moving east and subducting beneath the North American plate. And finally, on this diagram from zero million years ago, in other words, happening this morning, there is more convergent ocean versus continental plate action uh, in Mexico and Central America where the Cocos Plate, Oceanic Cocos Plate, is subducting beneath the North American Plate. Okay, so we should feel pretty comfortable. And now what I'm going to describe is what I do with my class. I actually um, take colored markers into this lecture, this Farallon Plate Lecture, and I start coloring this, these three panels that I was describing. So let's actually do that verbally. Uh, the San Andreas and the Denali, what type of plate boundary? Correct. Transform. Let's color those guys green for no particular reason. I've just always used green. I used to have an overhead projector, and I'd have a transparency, if that makes sense to the older people on, in the, uh, on the other side of this uh, microphone. And I would take these uh, pens that can be uh, washed off with water. That's a digression. Moving, moving on. So green, transform plate boundaries, Denali and San Andreas. Uh, let's use blue to color the convergent ocean versus continental plate boundaries. So that's where? That's at the Pacific Northwest coast, right? Juan de Fuca plate subducting beneath North America. That's off the coast of Mexico and Central America. We're going to draw a blue line right where the trench is, right where the oceanic trench is, where the subduction is happening. And we can do a third blue line segment on this zero-million-year diagram uh, up in Alaska uh, with the Aleutian Peninsula and the Aleutian Islands. That's, that's also convergent activity. So there's, if you go from Alaska to Mexico, if we look at the colors now, indicating different kinds of plate boundary activity. Starting in Alaska, we go blue, then green, that's Denali, then blue, Pacific Northwest, Cascadia subduction zone, then green, San Andreas Fault in California, then blue, down in southern Mexico. Got it? All right. We're setting up for something big. There is no Farallon plate on this map because this is today. 
one final comment for today, uh, for the today map, and that is that the Juan de Fuca plate is actually being created at a little seafloor spreading center off the coast of the Pacific Northwest. It's called the Juan de Fuca Ridge. So let's color that red. Red for divergent plate boundary. Red for where we create ocean crust basalt and we spread it in opposite directions, making the Pacific plate to the northwest and the Juan de Fuca plate to the southeast. Okay, hot damn. Mission accomplished. Talking about the right panel of these three panels on this diagram called North America Crosses the East Pacific Rise. Well, hell, we haven't even talked about the East Pacific Rise yet, nor have we talked about the Farallon. That's coming right now. Let's do it. Can we skip over to the left panel, please? Got three panels on this page. Let's go over to the left. Now, that's the panel that says 40 million years ago. The good news is it's a much simpler map. It's going to be different. We've already established that. So it was simpler back in the day, tectonically, here in the American West. Can I describe it? Sure I can. Let's start at the coast. There's no green 40 million years ago, meaning there's no transform plate boundary activity 40 million years ago. Meaning what? There is no San Andreas Fault. How about that? You keep in track of major points. Here's a big point from today. The San Andreas Fault has not always existed. The San Andreas Fault actually formed at a certain time dur during some sort of major change with tectonic plates. That's coming in a bit. But right now, we have no green. We have no transformed San Andreas Fault or Denali Fault 40 million years ago. So what do we have as a color going from Alaska down to Mexico along our coast? The answer is blue. And what was blue? Convergent plate boundary with ocean crust subducting beneath continental material. Okay? Entirely blue. One major type of plate boundary along the west coast of North America, Alaska to Mexico. By the way, I can't hold it. What do you form along the coast if you have nothing but convergent oceanic versus continental subduction along the entire margin? The answer are cone volcanoes, right? Therefore, from Alaska down to Mexico 40 million years ago, we had a beautiful, continuous mountain range, Alaska all the way to Mexico, marching right down the left margin, the west coast of North America. And it wasn't just a mountain range. It was a mountain range composed of dozens and dozens and dozens of active composite cone volcanoes. We're using our knowledge from past episodes. We know what those kinds of volcanoes are and why they exist. Remember, 60% silica, intermediate magma, blah, 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 blah. So another major point. Can you picture South America today? Can you? Big mountain range down the West Coast, right? Called the Andes. The Andes are dozens and dozens and dozens of active composite cone volcanoes. We, North America, we had an Andes mountain range 40 million years ago, for sure. And I, I've got to jump ahead to one of the biggest messages from today, and that is 
that once continuous mountain chain, like the Andes, has been broken into segments in the last 40 million years. We have been slowly killing. Sounds sad, doesn't it? We've been slowly killing composite cone volcanoes. We've been wiping them out. We've been erasing them off of the map. And the reason for that ultimately is this change in tectonic plate dynamics. I'm ahead of myself, though. Let's go back and finish our map of 40 million years ago. What do we have so far? 40 million years ago, blue up and down the west coast of North America. And if you want to, make some little blue X's. Uh, make some X's on the coast uh, indicating Mount Rainier-like volcanoes. X, 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 Blue X's are just a whole line of blue X's making up our Andes-like mountain range along the west coast of North America. Why? Because we have subduction of what? Hey, man, what's the title of the episode? Yep. 40 million years ago, there was a monster ocean plate making up much of the Pacific Basin floor, and it was called the Farallon Plate. And that Farallon Plate, when it existed, and it was definitely a major player 40 million years ago, that Farallon Plate was moving east. And it's that Farallon Plate that was coming at North America, subducting beneath North America, and fueling all of those blue X's that you have from Alaska to Mexico. You starting to see why the Farallon's a big deal? Let me keep going. The Farallon was being created at something further out in the Pacific Basin. We're going to put a red line for that. And that red line is divergent plate boundary. What's that? That's the East Pacific Rise. Now, if you've got a good memory, you remember... With our seafloor spreading episode, we talked about the Mid-Atlantic Ridge, and we talked about something called the East Pacific Rise in the Pacific Basin. Seafloor spreading, make new crust, split it in half, send half one way, half the other way, normal faults, the whole bit. I'm going to take a swig of water. Uh, don't mind me. A Farallon plate makes me thirsty. Okay. So if you got, I don't know how you're doing this. I don't know if this one's working or not. But I guess if you were really trying to do this and you had, if you weren't driving a truck or something right now, maybe you can sit down with a blank sheet of paper and draw some of this stuff out and even have your little colored pencils. That would You'd get a gold star if you did that. It's probably asking too much, huh? Uh, so to review, our 40 million year panel looks like this. North American plate moving west. Farallon plate moving east, Farallon plate being created at the East Pacific Rise, a red line that's to the west of the Farallon plate. And you can even put some Pacific plate crust moving west away from the East Pacific Rise. Let me say it differently. There was a major divergent plate boundary offshore called the East Pacific Rise out in the Pacific and North America, continental crust, was slowly moving towards that East Pacific rise. And as a result, major amounts of volcanic activity along the West Coast. 
okay, that's the best I can do with 40 million years ago. You've got a big old Farallon plate coming at us and fueling those volcanoes. Let me finish the descriptive part of this, and then we can get to some of the fun stuff, not only talking about the past, but even the future of the Cascades. What's remaining to discuss, or to describe, excuse me, what's remaining to describe? Well, the middle panel, 20 million years ago, with the, um, how can we say it? It's kind of an intermediate stage. It's, It's kind of a transition from the left panel 40 million years ago to the right panel zero million years ago, so 20 million years ago. The star of the show in your sketch in the middle panel is the birth of the San Andreas Fault. There we go. There was no San Andreas Fault 40 million years ago. The San Andreas Fault is a cute little baby 20 million years ago, meaning we're going to have a little short green line segment showing up in Southern California. There's hardly any length to the San Andreas Fault 20 million years ago, but it has been formed, even though it's not very long north to south. And you can make a little green line segment up north with the Denali Fault if you like. So the point is, 40 million years ago, we had one continuous blue line segment along our coast. And 20 million years ago, it's still mostly a blue line segment with blue X's to the right, to the east. But we'll have a couple of interruptions where it's mostly, if, if I go Alaska to Mexico, we do this. Mostly blue, then a little bit of green. Mostly blue through uh, Washington, Oregon, Northern California, then a little bit of green, Southern California, then back to blue again. So already we're starting to interrupt this continuous chain of volcanoes. Why? Here's the next big point. If you form the San Andreas Fault, in other words, if you make a little green line segment instead of blue, Big point. Ready? Wherever we have green at the coast, we're going to remove a blue X to the east. The blue X is a volcano, cone volcano, and we are going to remove the blue X. Why? Well, the blue X's only exist because of the blue line at the coast. Translation? Cone volcanoes only exist if you have subduction of an ocean plate offshore. Remember, green means transform plate boundary. Green means plates sliding past each other. There is no subduction. So to describe this change from a blue line segment to a green line segment as we get closer and closer to present day, what are we really doing? We're stopping subduction. Therefore, we're stopping magma generation. Therefore, we're freezing the pipes, we're solidifying all that hot magma in an active subduction zone. Therefore, the volcano stops erupting. Think Mount Rainier, think Mount St. Helens. It just, it just stops. There's no way it can erupt anymore. There's no molten magma coming anymore from below. And eventually, that huge cone mountain, like Mount Rainier, is going to crumble away completely. Now, that's the part that people struggle with. There's always hands that pop up right away. They're like, are you really saying the mountain is going away? And I'm like, yeah. And they're like, well, don't you mean it just stops erupting? I'm like, nope. I mean, it stops erupting, and if we have a few million years to wait, that mountain is going away. And they're like, I don't get how that works. Well, 
There's uplift, there's erosion, there's river carving, there's glacial action. There's a lot of ways to remove a mountain if you have enough time. And that's really the, the most, I think, eye-catching or visual thing for people, that we have these cones that were thriving and erupting and building, and then suddenly they lose their source of magma and they go away. And I can't hold it, I'm going to say it right now. The Cascade Volcanoes that we know and love today, Mount Baker, Glacier Peak, Mount Rainier, Mount St. Helens, Mount Adams, Go down to Oregon if you want, Mount Hood, Three Sisters, Mount Jefferson, etc. Each of those active cones is a blue X. But it's not going to be a blue X forever. The Cascade volcanoes are eventually going to die and go away. Sad. So sad. So disturbing. How can we stop this? Somebody's got to do something. Get some kind of summit in Paris to save these Cascade volcanoes. That doesn't work that way, man. This is a tectonic story. And we keep changing the size, the direction, the boundaries between these tectonic plates. And that's the overriding thing we need to discuss in just a bit. But to finish the description then of the middle panel 20 million years ago, uh, from Alaska to Mexico, what was it? Blue line segment up in Alaska, then green, blue, then green, then blue when we get down to Mexico. Why is that? Why are we getting green for the first time? This is where it starts to get really interesting. I hope for you, if you're still with us, you may have clicked this one off. What the hell, man? The colors? I don't, can't picture any of this. Hey, man, good job. You're still with us. And by us, I mean me. Okay. Well, let's... So at this point, the students have everything colored, and then there's kind of a like a dazed look. Like, I... Okay. So I did what you told me to do, you know. Like, wow. And so then I say, look, look let, let's, let's, let's try to ask some significant questions. Why are we getting these changes? Why don't we still have this massive Fairline plate offshore? Why doesn't it exist anymore? What was that alternate title? You got it? North America crosses the East Pacific Rise. That's why these changes are happening. That's why the Farallon Plate is no longer. That's why these cones stop erupting and go away. It's because North America, this is the biggest point of the podcast, because North America has been slowly crossing the East Pacific rise, we've gone through tremendous amounts of tectonic change in the last 40 million years. This is not easy. These, this is an advanced set of ideas, especially difficult with this format, with this verbal format. But screw it, I'm going to continue. Let's try it this way. Um, I use this analogy. I think it works for the bright students in the room. Uh, the dim ones don't understand what I'm doing, but you're bright, so this will work for you, hopefully. Um, I, I do a little theater performance. I say, hey, man, uh, let me try to show you what I mean by North America crossing the East Pacific Rise. Uh, my dad used to be a track coach, and uh, he was a thrower's coach. He wasn't a sprinter coach. But let's say we're at a 100-yard dash. That's right. I said 100-yard. That's how old I am. 
100-yard dash. And as a kid, I would help out at the track meets, and I would, I would uh, get to hold the twine with another, you know, seven-year-old uh, son of a coach. We'd hold the twine, the finish line. You know, this is before lasers and everything. And uh, so that was our job. And I was kind of a, a apprehensive kid. You know, I want to make sure I held it just right. And am I going to strangle them or am I going to screw this up somehow? Somebody going to yell at me? That's back when parents yelled at people. It was a simpler time, just like when the Farallon plate existed. All right. So it's a 100-yard dash. And the twine, the finish line, is going to be the East Pacific Rise. So in your mind, can you picture the sprinters are coming from the right? And they're going to, you're in the grandstand, and the sprinters are going to be coming from your right. That's actually opposite to a normal track meet, but whatever. Try, try this with me anyway, okay? So the sprinters are going to go right to left. In other words, east to west. And over there on the left, we've got this stationary twine held by a seven-year-old Nick Zentner and his friend, David Wangren. Okay, so the East Pacific Rise, the spreading center out in the Pacific Ocean, is the finish line, is the twine. And we're not going to move that twine. We're so nervous anyways as seven-year-old boys. We're not going to do it. We're going to just freeze. Now, off on the right, you're in the grandstand, right? Off on the right, you can see the sprinters getting ready. They got their blocks out there. They got their best friend out there holding the blocks for them. They're doing all the typical things you're supposed to do to be a cool, a cool guy or a cool gal, right? You're doing the jump thing up and down, up and down, up and down. You're kicking the legs out. You're, you're getting in the, in, in, the, um, in the blocks, and you're doing a couple practice explosions out there, and everybody's super impressed. And, you know, before the race starts, everybody looks really strong. You know, oh, don't, damn, that guy's going to oh, he's gonna smoke everybody. And then, of course, that's the guy that's last, usually, when the gun goes off. All right, moving on. So we get the sprinters. They've done all their practice. They've done all their cool guy stuff. They're down in there. Gun goes up. Gun up. Runners take your mark. Zed. How many millions of years ago did the gun go off? The sprinter is North America, by the way. North America is going to start out of the blocks and do a 100-yard sprint to the finish line. Where's the finish line? The East Pacific Rise. When did North America start moving west? When did North America have the gun go off on it? You got an answer? It's an advanced question. What's your answer? When did the gun go off? When did North America start moving west? Oftentimes, students say 40 million years ago because we were looking at those three panels, but that's not the right answer. Do you have it? Correct. 200 million years ago. Good job. 200 million years ago. That's the answer. That's when the gun went off. That's when North America started to move to the west. Two inches a year, right? But that's fast. That's a sprint as far as geologic processes are concerned. Why is the answer 200 million years ago? Well, what do you know about 200 million years ago? Yeah. Pangaea started to break up 200 million years ago. And North America started to move west away from Europe and Africa. Yeah, that's it. There's a connection to that supercontinent called Pangaea. 
So let me finish my train of thought, and hopefully this works for you. Why are we eventually going to lose the Farallon plate? Well, here's the idea. The sprint has begun. The sprinter's starting to get out of the block, get out nice and low, get the legs going, get the arms going. Now we're into, oh, God, look how beautiful. What a specimen. This guy's flying in front of the grandstand. That's North America getting closer and closer to the East Pacific rise. It's 100 million years ago now. It's 70 million years ago. It's 40 million years ago. We're still sprinting, sprinting, getting closer and closer. North America getting closer and closer to the East Pacific rise. And now it's going to be a close finish. What are you taught to do as a sprinter? You're approaching the finish line. You're approaching the twine. You're taught to do what? Get your chin out there. Get your chest out. Get your chin. I want you to explode through that line. I'm going to inch out that guy from Sela. Right out there. When does North America first cross the finish line? When does that Roman nose cross through the finish line first or the chest? What's the answer? How many millions of years ago does North America begin to cross the finish line? The answer is 20 million years ago. Why? That's when North America starts to cross the East Pacific rise. And what happens? As soon as a portion of North America crosses the East Pacific rise, we turn blue to green. We do this change from subduction to transform and San Andreas Fault. If you're bright and if you're able to stick with this episode, it's all paying off right now. We are explaining why these colors are changing as we go from left to right on your three-panel diagram, page 33 in your course pack as I'm looking at it right now. What I'm talking about right now is why the Farallon plate starts to go away, why the subduction begins to stop why the volcanoes start to go away, and in their place, why the San Andreas Fault begins to form. I am thoroughly wide awake at the moment. It only took me 25 minutes to totally get woken up, but now this is where it all comes uh, to roost. What? I don't know. That doesn't make any sense. Do we have it? North America crossing the East Pacific Rise makes the San Andreas Fault. Let me finish my thought. As the sprinter, as the rest of the body of the sprinter crosses the finish line, it's a photo finish now. It was slow, slow, slow motion with the rest of this body crossing the finish line. That's more of North America crossing over this stationary East Pacific rise. And guess what? During our time on the planet, in the year 2019, there's still a couple of fingers of North America that has not totally crossed the finish line. The job of North America crossing the finish line is not complete. And that's what the Juan de Fuca plate is. The Juan de Fuca plate is actually the last piece of the Farallon plate because the Pacific Northwest, the North American part of uh, the part of North America called the Pacific Northwest has not yet completed its crossing of the East Pacific Rise, and we call the East Pacific Rise in our area the Juan de Fuca Ridge. 
When we do that, I'd say in 10 million years, give it 10 million years, in 10 million years from now, the rest of North America will cross the East Pacific Rise and the Cascades will go away, just like the rest of the volcanoes have. I know this is difficult to visualize, and I'm running a little long, but I'm going to try to wrap this up the best I can right now. Here it is in a nutshell, my best attempt. 40 million years ago, there was nothing but Farallon plates subducting beneath all of western North America, and therefore we had an Andes-like chain of volcanoes fueled by the subduction of the Farallon plate. That's because the East Pacific rise, the finish line, was offshore, and there was no green, there was no San Andreas Fault 40 million years ago. Flash forward to 20 million years ago, the middle panel, and a part of North America has begun to cross the East Pacific rise. With that slight crossing, we suddenly have the North American plate in direct, direct contact with the Pacific plate, and the San Andreas Fault begins. In other words, the subduction stops because we get rid of the middleman. We get rid of the Farallon plate in between these two other plates. That's another way to describe why the San Andreas Fault exists. We're putting North American plate and Pacific plate in direct contact and the plate vectors of those two plates say we can't have subduction. We don't have a collision anymore. Finally, in the last 20 million years, more and more of North America has crossed the finish line, has crossed the East Pacific rise, and therefore more and more of those cones have been killed and wiped off the face of the map. There's only a couple places left then where the cones remain. The Aleutian Island volcanoes, the Cascade Volcanoes in the Pacific Northwest, and some of the Cone Volcanoes in Mexico and Central America. When North America crosses the rest of the East Pacific Rise, and that will be happening in the next 10 million years, many of those cones will completely go away. And you're like, well, what happens then? What does it look like if you remove a volcano? Well, the short answer is you take the underlying magma rock and you lift it. We'll have an episode coming in a few uh, down the road to look at the geology of California and see exactly where those volcanoes used to stand back when the Farallon Plate was subducting beneath western North America. Hey, that was an ambitious attempt, kind of a slow build in the first 15 minutes, I must admit. But without rehearsal, I guess that's what you can expect. Hell, what'd you pay for this thing? That's right, not a damn thing. So maybe you feel like you got your money's worth by the end and things kind of crystallized. And um, we're going to build on this and refer to this episode a number of times. And I'll continue to kind of revisit this and hopefully help flesh out the, the visuals if you struggled with seeing some of these concepts. Well, listener, I think that's it for the Farallon Plate episode. Tune in next time when we visit the inland Pacific Northwest and look at crazy amounts of basalt lava piled up where it should not be. I love you. Goodbye.